Good morning, church. What a joy it is to be in worship with you, all you that are gathered online with us and that are here today in person. What a blessing it is to get to worship our Lord and God and sing praises to His holy name and open up His word to be fed and be in sweet communion with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It's good to see some new faces we hadn't seen in a while, some visitors with us, some members we've not seen over the months, but it's uh, good to see each and every one of you. We are in a series on Sunday mornings from the Beatitudes, and today our topic is to have a hunger and a thirst for God. This fourth Beatitude, blessed are those that hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. What a beautiful, beautiful attitude. America is so blessed. We are the land of plenty of abundant resources, plenty of land, plenty of resources. We are the land of plenty, aren't we? America is unparalleled in its generosity, its charity to reach out and help not only people in our country, but throughout the entire world. America's kindness and compassion is so overwhelming when natural disasters and things occur in our country and throughout the world to quickly respond and to help any way that we can. So it's stunning to me when I find out that there's tens of millions in our own country of the land of plenty that are hungry and thirsty. It's it just hard to conceive of that. How is that possible? Is that a distribution problem? Is that a political problem? Is that a cultural problem? Surely we should be able to solve that in some way. And I know what Jesus says, the poor will always be with us, and we're to take care of them. But it's stunning, isn't it, to think in a land of opportunity to have that many. And then you broaden the vision of the global world, and there are hundreds of millions of people in our world that are malnourished, who don't have access to even clean, pure drinking water. How is that possible in the world in which we live? And it draws me back to the prayer that Jesus tells us to pray, the Lord's Prayer. Give us this day our daily bread. We should never take for granted, should we? The blessings that we have from God, the bread, the water, the simple things of life, yet that are so necessary and so important. And so Jesus takes the hunger and the thirst. And he talks about righteousness and being filled. And he speaks to a need here, doesn't he? Who needs this filling? Those who are hungry and those who are thirsty. And what does he promise to those that are hungry and those that are thirsty? They will be what? They will be filled. That's the promise. And it not only speaks to a need, it points to a desperation of those hundreds of millions of people in our world that experience on a daily basis hunger and thirst. There's a desperation in that, isn't it? So it's interesting in these words that are used in the Greek by Jesus that are translated from the Greek, it really means those who are starving and those who are dehydrated. See, it's not just a little 
David, you're talking about food today, and I got to get to Logan's, you know, <laughs> and beat the crowd. It's, this is a starving desperation. This is a, a parchment, a dehydration, because you don't have enough water in your system. But Jesus also speaks to not just the need and the desperation, but to the right kind of food and drink, right? Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. You see the word right in righteous? That's a good word. To hunger for what is right, to, to drink of the right drink. Can we just be honest? Most of us are stuffed on food. Most of us are stuffed on the wrong foods and drinks. Most people are stuffed but not satisfied. They're stuffed with the wrong foods, eating foods that are harmful and not healthy to the body, eating things that eventually can cause disease in the body. When hunger and thirst are designed to fuel the body, right, to keep us healthy, give us the energy we need to do the, what God has called us to do. Many are stuffed and not satisfied. Many are drinking the wrong drinks. Too much alcohol, too much caffeine, too much sugar, too much sodium. Have you ever looked at the chemicals in the drinks that we drink? We drink the wrong drinks. We stuff ourselves with the wrong food. And yet Jesus says there is the right food and the right drink that will fill you, that will keep you healthy. Hunger and thirst are a natural and necessary drive for the physical body. There is a spiritual hunger and a spiritual thirst and a spiritual drive towards that that is necessary for the soul. And that's what Jesus says here. There is a hunger and a thirst and an appetite you need to build for God to have a healthy soul. The need, the right food and drink, the purpose is not to be stuffed, but to be filled. Now, my family growing up used to call Thanksgiving turkey and stuffing. It wasn't turkey and dressing. Right? <laughs> you know, so I don't want to get into Thanksgiving right now. It's a little bit too early. But the idea that we want to be filled, not stuffed. In fact, the word filled here does not mean to be stuffed. It means to be satisfied. Hear it? You're satisfied. You're healthy. It's the fuel. It's the energy. It's not lethargy. It's not feeling miserable. It's enjoying life. The way you're supposed to. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. And that is the founding block for all the Beatitudes, particularly the first three we've already looked at. You talk about a hunger and a thirst for God, the poor in spirit. We, we acknowledge that we need God. We have a hunger for a relationship, a dependence upon God. There's a hunger in our heart for forgiveness. We mourn over the sins in our life. There is a sorrow in a soul that's much deeper than any physical sorrow. And it's by repentance and confession and by forgiveness, God can fill that hunger, the need for forgiveness. There's a need for that doing God's will. Jesus said, my food is to do the will of the Father. He gives us the example there, right? And my soul, my will is to submit to God's will and to feed on his will. To let that be my food. But that takes humility and submission. 
We are designed to hunger and thirst after God. I love Solomon in his journal in Ecclesiastes. He has these words that are so beautiful about life. And I want you to see how they're connected to a hunger and a thirst for righteousness and how we find life to be a gift from God when we are finding the hunger and thirst being filled by God in our life. God has made beautiful everything in its time. God has also set eternity in the human heart. Hear that? Where's eternity set? Where? In your heart. It's not in this world. That hunger can never be satisfied in this world. It can never come from the things of this world. That eternity hunger and thirst, that appetite is from God. He put it there for a reason. Every one of you have it. Everyone who ever lived. Yet none of us can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. And here's what Solomon begins to say. I know there's nothing better than to be happy and do good while we live. How are we happy and do good while we live? Because we have found that eternity in our heart. That each of us may eat and drink and find what? Satisfaction. There's your word filling. In what they do, this is a what? It's a gift from God. Hunger. And thirst after your Lord. Because he says, I know that everything God does will endure, will endure forever. Isn't that beautiful? What a great description of a life that hungers and thirsts after righteousness and being filled. Now, most do not hunger and thirst after God. Most have an appetite of this world. I think it's interesting when you read in Colossians... Paul talks about this in the second chapter, verse 8. Here's what people hunger and thirst for, hoping to fill that heart eternity part from it. Don't let anyone capture you with empty philosophies, high-sounding nonsense. It comes from human thinking and from the spiritual powers of this world rather than from Christ. For those of you who have had the unfortunate opportunity of having to take philosophy in college or graduate school, I, I empathize with you deeply. Now what's interesting to me in the many, many hours I've had in college and graduate school in philosophy, these are going to be words from their philosophers, not mine, of how just meaningless and hopeless modern philosophy is. The 20th and 21st philosophers, century philosophers, the most noted ones. Now, I want you to listen to me. These are going to be their words, not mine. Who have given us teachings and theories about the meaning of life and how to find the purpose of life devoid of God. Their words, not mine. The most famous philosophers of this time have concluded that their teachings and their theories are meaningless and without hope. They cannot in good conscience offer meaning or hope to a world in the philosophy and the theories they've taught. Look it up. I'm not making it up. It's their words, not mine. So there's a hunger and a thirst and an appetite to find meaning for life and they're eating the wrong food. And they keep going back to the wrong table. And they keep stuffing themselves with these philosophies that Paul told us back in the first century are utter nonsense. Why? 
because they're devoid of God. They cannot lead you to what's in the heart. So I turn to one of the most great philosophers of the 20th century, C.S. Lewis, who does not fall in this category. And here's what he says. If we find ourselves with a desire that nothing in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that we were made for another world. Amen. That's why we must hunger and thirst for the things of God. Your life moves in the direction of your thought life. What you're feeding your thought life is the direction your life is headed. Amen? Proverbs 4, verse 23. This is why you must guard your heart above all else. For everything flows from it. What are you feeding your thoughts? How are you hydrating your soul? What is flowing from your life? What nourishment and fuel are you giving your thought life? Are you operating by the spirit of this world or by the Holy Spirit of God? And this is what we're called to do. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst. How do I do that? Well, you do it through worship. Worship feeds the hunger for God. Prayer certainly quenches our thirst for God. Serving others in the name of Jesus energizes and fuels our life for God, doesn't it? And of course, the Word of God is so important. Jeremiah 15, verse 16, Jeremiah says, I found your words and I ate them. Now, he didn't mean literally he found a Bible and he started tearing out the pages and eating the pages. You know that, don't you? But just want to make sure you're with me. You hadn't fallen asleep two minutes ago, all right? <laughs> so we know what that means. He found God's Word, and he takes that Word and he nourishes. He feeds his soul upon it. And those words became to him what? A joy and a delight, and I called upon the name of the Lord. The Word of God is sometimes like honey. The Word of God sometimes is bitter like medicine. Doesn't taste always good. But the Word of God, feeding on the Word of God, is always what will keep you healthy. Healthy spiritually. And this is what it's talking about here. The Word of God that's there. There are many unhappy people who do not enjoy life. Many people who don't enjoy life. They've stuffed themselves with all the things of this world. They're stuffed with the abundance and... They're not satisfied. They go looking for other things to accumulate. They look for other ways to be entertained. They seek new adventures to fill the void. And many are so stuffed and saturated on the things of this world, and they are miserable. Miserable. Stuffed but not satisfied. Plenty of to drink but still thirsty. I want to share with you, many, many years ago, my favorite place to go was to a Chinese buffet. That was considered a challenge to me. <laughs> to walk in, and my challenge was to make sure nothing was left when I left. Now, the most interesting thing about me in those former days was that I could stuff myself with Chinese food and everything else they offered, pile it up plate after plate after plate, come home in an hour and two, later be absolutely starving to death. 
No one's ever had that except me, I'm sure. An hour or two later, knowing in my mind, there's no way I'm hungry. I am stuffed. And a couple hours later, I'm going to the kitchen to find something else to eat because I'm hungry. And by 6 or 7 o'clock that night, I am miserable for the next two or three hours. I'm just opening up to you. I'm honest, all right? You know, the Bible, or not the Bible, rather, people say, eat, drink, and be merry. Uh-uh. You eat, drink, and you get stuffed. You're miserable. But we always say, eat, drink, and be merry, but we never quote the next part. Eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow you die. I'll leave it there. <laughs> so how? How do we have a hunger and a thirst for God that can be filled? Well, it's through worship and prayer and service and the word, but it's through obedience. Go all the way to the first book in the Bible, Genesis. The very first beginning, God uses food as a symbol for obedience, doesn't he? Why in the Garden of Eden, he gives them this abundance of food, a variety of food, that they can just have full access to, right? And then he gives them a choice. Just one fruit from one tree, you can't eat it. Why did you do that? Why? Obedience. Obedience. He gave them the nourishment, the health, the life, the satisfaction right there at the very beginning. Focus on the food. Hunger and thirst after God. Here's the choice. You can eat from all these trees and make the right choice and be healthy and live. Or you can make the wrong choice and eat from the wrong food and disobey and die. Didn't take long. I don't know how long. But the devil shows up in chapter 3. Very first temptation in all the Bible is about hunger. It's about food. And so he shows up and he says, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? He plants the desire, doesn't he? He plants the doubt. Did he say from any tree? The woman said, oh no, we may eat from any tree in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that's in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you'll die. God didn't say that. God didn't say that at all. What did God say? Don't eat from the tree. Never mentioned touching it. Never mentioned getting close to it. All God told them to do was what? Obey and don't eat. This is where we get in trouble sometimes as church and members of the body of Christ. We add our restrictions and our, and our fences in front of the command. Well, I can't touch it either. See? And we're thinking we're helping when in actuality we're making it worse. The devil says, you can't eat of any tree. One says, yeah, we can eat of any tree, just not that one. And we can't touch it. We're going to die. But the desire has been planted. It's there. 
The serpent said, you will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open, you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. He plants the craving. It's a desire. It's now a craving for something that they cannot have. We all know that there's a difference between a craving and a hunger, right? Cravings, more often than not, are psychological. They're not actual, real. But those cravings come up and they seem so real to us and the desire for those cravings are so immense that we feel like we got to feed the craving or we're going to die. I don't know what you crave for. Dale knows mine is peanut butter, right? <laughs> Sharon has to hide it in the house, all right? The cravings are just incredible for peanut butter. I think peanut butter goes on anything. I, I can't think of anything I wouldn't put peanut butter on. But cravings are not a hunger. They're psychological. And this is what happens. The craving is built in the woman. The hunger is there. And so when the woman saw that the food, the tree was good for food and that it was delight to the eyes and that the tree was desired to be make one wise, what did she do? Her appetite changed. She ate of the fruit and gave some to her husband who also ate it with her. Cravings. See, that's what the devil wants to do. To change your appetite. Away from the, what's really good for you, the right things of God, to crave after the things of this world. I, I think of um, the wilderness wanderings, Israelite. Israel's in the wanderings. God has freed them. They're on the march of freedom to the promised land, aren't they? And in Exodus 16 and Numbers 11, it tells you that God is the one who prepares all the food for them. In Numbers 11 and Numbers 16, God gives them quail at evening for meal. He gives them manna in the morning to eat, doesn't he? Totally dependent upon God to obey God, to submit to his will, to follow after him. And God says in Exodus 16, I gave this to them so that they would know that I'm their God, that they would follow after me. Total dependence, fresh food, abundance of food. Always stuff left over, but over a period of time, in Numbers chapter 11, the people begin to grumble. What do they grumble about? They began to what? There it is. What did they begin to do? Say it with me. Began to crave other foods. The fish, the cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, the onions, and garlic. Not only that, they started wailing about it. We remember the fish we ate in Egypt at no cost. What are you talking about? What do you talk? What do you mean at no cost? What we ate melons and cucumbers and leeks and fish in Egypt, it didn't cost us anything. Are you kidding me? You were 430 years in slavery. What do you mean it didn't cost you anything? What do you mean you're walking around here in freedom and now you want to go back to slave food? What do you mean it doesn't cost you anything to turn your back on your appetite for God? At no cost, you're craving the slave food of this world. The one that oppressed you. The ones who owned you in Egypt. You are craving the appetite and have an appetite for the things of this world instead of a healthy hunger for the things of God. It costs plenty to change your appetite. It costs plenty. God comes with us and gives us 
the filling for our hunger and thirst for life. And it cost a great deal. It cost Jesus Christ his life on the cross, didn't it? He became our righteousness. He who knew no sin became my sin. So that in him, I might be declared sin free. That's what he did for me. That's what he's done for you. Christ is my righteousness. It cost to change your appetite. I like Romans 6, 16 through 18. Here's what Paul says. Do you not know that to whom you yield yourselves as slaves to obey, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, whether of sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness? But thanks be to God, for you are slaves of sin, but you've obeyed from the heart that form of teaching to which you were entrusted, and having been freed from sin, you become slaves of righteousness. You see, when you crave the world, it costs. Don't ever say it doesn't cost you anything. It, you lose your freedom. You become enslaved to sin. Let's think about cravings for a moment. When you feed a craving... You never satisfy the craving, do you? When you feed a craving, it comes back quicker than what it did the last time. You have a craving for an Oreo cookie the first time. The next time you have a craving for two Oreo cookies. And the next time you want four Oreo cookies. And the next time you eat the whole thing of it. And you can't believe you ate the whole thing and you're stuffed and feeling miserable. Tell me I'm wrong there. Cravings fed destroy you. They come with a cost. And so back to Numbers 11. The people say, oh, when we had this food in Egypt, it didn't cost us anything. But notice what they say next. We lost our appetite. We lost our appetite. We never see anything but this food, God, that you've given us. All we see is the manna, the manna, the manna. We've lost our appetite for you, God. We've lost our appetite. They've grown tired of God's food. The cravings for Egypt changed their appetite from the right food to the slave food. And listen, this is true of Christians walking in freedom. The desires, the cares, the lust of this world change our appetite and a faithful Christian begins to indulge in the cravings of this world and their appetite, appetite changes. They lose their appetite for worship. They lose their thirst for prayer. They grow tired of pursuing and serving and they pursue their own selfish interest. And then they begin to grumble in life about how God's food and way is not very satisfying I just can't get anything out of the Word of God. I just can't get anything out of those songs. I can't get anything out of prayer. I, my appetite has changed. It's cost you plenty, hasn't it? Cost you plenty. And this is so important to know. This is what Ecclesiastes says. Here's what happens. People will work to feed their appetites. And meanwhile, their souls go hungry. There are people in this world who are working and ambitious and doing everything they can to get ahead in this world, but they are neglecting their soul. Their soul is malnourished, and they are dehydrated spiritually. And you know what happens when you get dehydrated? You grow delusional. You get delirious. And there are people in this world who are so spiritually dehydrated 
They're so delirious thinking that they're going down the right way. And you know better, don't you? The only way is to feed and quench it through God. And it's so important that we do that. This is what Jesus said in the wilderness. In the wilderness, the devil comes to him. And incidentally, the first temptation again from the devil is about what? Food. Food. You never get away from food, right? In the wilderness, after 40 days of fasting and no water, no, no food, the devil comes to Jesus. Very first temptation. Why don't you take all those rocks that are around you right here and turn them into bread? Why don't you do that right now? And Jesus said in Luke 4, people do not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. There's more to life than the physical. There's more to life than the physical. There is the spiritual food. My food's to do the will of the Father. And sure, he, the devil tried to tempt Jesus the way he tempted Eve, with food. Have the wrong appetite, to crave and to desire something he should not have. But Jesus says, no, we do not live by bread alone. In fact, here's the important thing. After Jesus feeds the 5,000 and the people want to make him king, do you remember that story? He goes up to the mountaintop to pray and sends his disciples in a boat across the sea. Jesus then joins them later that night and they go to the other side. The next morning, the people from that side who had been fed, many of them had walked around the lake and joined others. And they want to be fed again. And then Jesus gives them these this words in G, John chapter 6. I'm the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. And whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. I'm that bread of life. See the word I am there? Do you see it? When Moses asked what the name of God was when he saw the fiery bush, God said that his name was I am. So seven times in the gospel of John, Jesus says, I'm the bread, I'm the light, I'm the gate, I'm the good shepherd, I'm the true vine, I'm the resurrection and the life, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am God. That's what he's saying. And he says, I am your bread of life. I am the one. If you feast on me, will never grow hungry. Fulfillment's found in me. And so that hunger that Solomon describes about the heart having eternity inside it, we're told that Jesus is the one who fulfills that hunger. He is the living water for our dehydrated soul. So how do we get it, Jesus says. How do I get that? What's he say? Whoever does what? Believes in me will never be thirsty. Believe in him. And that's what Peter says on the day of Pentecost. Believe, repent, confess, be baptized. So this beatitude, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, is a hunger and thirst for Christ. To know him more, to hunger and thirst for him, because nothing else will satisfy. Let, let me point you to Ezekiel 7, verse 19. These things cannot satisfy their soul nor fill their stomachs, for they have become their stumbling block and source of sin. When we go after the things of this world, when we crave and hunger, and our appetite is for this world instead of for God, it's going to become a stumbling block and a source of sin for us. Now, we've seen this. Of course, you know today how we think about how God fills our hunger and thirst, how Jesus is the bread of life when we partake of our communion, right? When we're before the Lord in communion, when we take of that communion, we're reminded of the blessing that God is the one who fills the hunger and he quenches the thirst of those who will seek righteousness. In 1 Corinthians 11, 
Paul says this, whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do what? You proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. The Lord's death until he comes. It's a loving sacrifice of Jesus that makes this possible. So when I'm taking the Lord's supper, I'm thinking about why did Jesus die? Because he's my bread. He's my sacrifice. It's through him my hunger and my thirst is filled. I'm reminded that Jesus can meet me at every need. If I hunger for forgiveness, he fills me. If I'm thirsty for comfort, he quenches the thirst. If I'm, if I'm needing love in my life, hunger for love, relationships, whatever it is, mercy, grace, forgiveness, eternal life, it's through Jesus Christ that I have that. And it's because of what Jesus did on the cross for me that I will proclaim his death as a victory over sin, not a defeat. That I have victory in Jesus Christ. So don't let the cravings of this world ruin the loving, right things of God that he has in store for you. I love the promise in Psalm 107, verse 9. He satisfies those who are what? Thirsty. Do you believe that? He fills those who are hungry with what? Good things. That's the promise that he has given us. Now, one other thought, and I'll close. We've started in Genesis. We've gone to the present day. We've got to go to Revelation at the end. Revelation two times, chapter 2 and chapter 22, describes heaven as a paradise, like a garden of Eden. And here in Revelation 2, verse 7, it talks about food again. And what he talks about here, he's talking about those who are victorious in faith. Those who are the overcomers. And he says to those who are victorious, I will give them the right to what? Eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. Faith is the what? The victory that overcomes the world. Amen? Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. What are you hungry for? Where's your appetite? Please turn it to God and be, have the feeling and satisfaction that he desires for you to have. Well, I hope this lesson has been an encouragement to you, one in a way that will strengthen your faith and increase your hope in your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We always offer on Sunday morning an invitation, and if you're worshiping with us online, thank you for being with us, and we invite you to write to the email address on the screen if you have any spiritual need, and we'll get back with you as soon as possible. Also, if you are a member here and you're worshiping with us online, please contact your shepherd group leader and one of the shepherds will get with you as soon as possible, meet with you as well. If you're here today and you have a spiritual need, one of our elders will be up the front. They would love to talk to you about that. Would you please make your way to the front as together we stand and sing this next song.